Uh, hey, Richard. Uh, this is David Laszlo. I'm coming here from Norway right now. Um, I'm in Stavanger, Norway, and about to be moving to Vasa, Finland in the next month or so. Interesting uh, way that I got here. Uh, I started out as a school teacher coming out of college uh, for middle school. And at the time, I was always coaching. That was kind of the second thing that I did. Um, but I'd always done that second thing. I'd always done that coaching part. So the the teaching for me, it wasn't the uh, the best vocation for me to be in. Um, I found more enjoyment in the coaching part. Uh, the the nice thing about it was it gave me you know summers off where I got to work with USA Hockey and some camps and and things like that, uh, which was necessary because of uh, we all know how little teachers get paid. Uh, one of my side jobs was uh, working at a pro shop. I was uh, sharpening lots of skates, uh, and that actually helped me. I turned that into a business um, right before I came to Europe. I got myself out of debt. Um, I was living in Raleigh, North Carolina at the time, and I got hooked up with uh, Wally Tatumer, uh, who was the Carolina Hurricanes equipment manager at the time. So he was instrumental in teaching me a lot of new tricks, uh, of giving me understanding of of different things. And, and it also put uh, NHL player skates in my hands and, and said, you know, sharpen these and they're going to tell you exactly what they feel. Uh, so if you do a really good job, they're going to come back and they're going to tell you, you know, that's exactly how I wanted it. But if it's not that way, uh, then they're going to tell you, nope, you were off by a millimeter. You were, you were off. Uh, the, the front doesn't feel right. What's going on here? Uh, so, so sharpening skates, uh, in a way, it got me over to Europe. And uh, I was able to afford to go back to school. And that was Veramaki in Finland. And I spent... Uh, two years there, and then had to do a, uh, a practical experience for the university. They sent me to Denmark, where I was for three years. Uh, and then I signed a contract in Norway for another three years. And like I said, I just got a, uh, a possibility to go back to Finland and, and work with a, a really good, solid professional youth program where I'll be doing youth development for U13 and U14 hockey. I'll be the the club coach in charge of that. So, and hey, let me introduce uh, a buddy of mine. This is uh, Frederick Melling. Uh, he's been my goalie coach for the last few years here in Norway. Um, he's also, he's worked with uh, Planet Hockey in, in the U.S. And so his his American accent is spot on. Uh, and I'll let him uh, do the rest of the introduction. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, I played myself all the way up through juniors in Norway uh spent some time in the second best division here and but yeah honestly i you know that was as far as i was going to go um then through university i was lucky enough to be helping out with running hockey camps in in the us uh working with planet hockey uh from there i met other uh coaches from europe which invited me to uh, do camps in Germany, the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, and stuff like that. So uh, I don't have any formal um, coaching education in the same way as as David would have or, or somebody else. But where I feel I'm, I'm I'm lucky is that I got to meet a lot of different coaches from 
you know, North America, uh, Europe, and obviously there's different cultures in, in Europe and ways to teach hockey. So I've been very lucky to to spend time with some some great quality coaches over the years and, and just pick up stuff from there, basically. I'm Richard Berkison, and I'm supposed to be the host of this podcast. And if it sounds to you listeners that we've gone the first few minutes here without hearing from me, that's probably a good thing. But uh, the podcast, this particular show with David Laszlo and his colleague Frederick Mailing, the goalie coach, is coming from Norway, and he will soon be in Finland. And I asked uh, Dave to, to give me a little bit of an intro and I got his life story, which is fine because it's it's a it's a really interesting route to get to uh, to coaching in Norway and Denmark and sweet, uh, Finland rather very shortly after being an elementary school teacher for a few years and skate sharpening for the Carolina Hurricanes. I guess now I can say, Dave and Frederick, welcome to Grassroots, the minor hockey show podcast that you've just taken over, and that's fine. That that's great. Um, some <laughs> Dave, you weren't you weren't really happy with your elementary school teaching career. Uh, no, I uh, I was a twenty something year old uh, know everything about everything type of person, and it took me a long time to realize what I don't know. <clears throat> and so I don't think I was a very good school teacher. I'm I'm sure that I have you know some students somewhere along the way that thought, Hey, this guy was cool. And I really liked, you know, Oh, I got, I got to read these books and, and they were good books. And, and he introduced us to that. And I don't know, but it just, the, the long term of it, uh, it, I thought it was my vocation. Um, you know, I had, I had wonderful teachers growing up and I wanted to be like them and it didn't happen. Um, I turned out to be the opposite. Do you think that, Given what you know now about your early career when you're in your 20s and you are now 50 or so, 51? Correct. Yep. Correct. All right. If you really wanted to go back to teaching now, first of all, would you? And if you did go back, what did you learn over the last 25 years that you didn't know before? So while I was in Finland, uh, the school... The university had a connection with the English language uh, elementary school down the road. And we actually had uh, part of our, our assignment, we would get credits to go there for, say, a week and run gym classes. Because I had a... Those, those are uh, called physical you. education. Yes. You're absolutely right. Uh, so, yes. And, and we did a lot of uh, sport-based uh education so we it wasn't just like old school gym class as i just uh poorly called it um so it was physical ed and i actually got out of that assignment because they hired me to be a substitute teacher i had a, a teaching background and this was a, a way i could earn a little bit of extra money and and still get the credits for for the school i thought I actually ended up being a good substitute teacher because everything was planned and prepared. So the first thing that I would do if I you know, met my 25-year-old self is tell myself to take a step back and focus on the planning and the preparation 
and not so much on, uh, you know, trying to be liked by all the kids. That's a pretty important lesson and probably just as important for coaches as well. The coaches who are 25, 28, 30 years old, coming straight out of their playing ranks, whether it was in junior or semi-pro or minor hockey, and figuring, well, I have a handle on this. What else do I need to know? Absolutely. Frederick, now, uh, as as Dave mentioned in his um, uh, excessively long self-intro, Frederick is his uh, goalie coach, has been his goalie coach for a while. Frederick, I'm going to ask you a question about Dave, and I'm going to ask Dave to not reply. <laughs> you, you've, you've worked with him for a few years now, is that correct? Yes. All right. The, the American perspective on hockey has produced what kind of an influence on you? Because we all come to the game with our cultural backgrounds in the sport. Dave comes from the American side of hockey. I come from the Canadian side of hockey. What have you seen from him that has been helpful or novel, interesting to you? Uh, I would say that perhaps the biggest part for me, and I don't know if it's typical for uh, North America, but at least it's typical for uh, David, is that, you know, you you what? you let the kids fail and you let them try out stuff and you let them see what happens when they fail. And I think that is perhaps one of the biggest things I'll take away is that instead of just, you know, blowing the whistle or stop them, correct them, you know, just let them run the drill for a couple of minutes, even if it's completely wrong. And then perhaps jump in and stop it. When, when you were growing up playing uh, youth hockey or minor hockey, did coaches not take that approach at all? Uh, no, it would be, you know, first time you you mess up, the whistle goes and uh, somebody uh, screams and yells at you and uh, you do it again or somebody's going to throw you at the back of the line uh, and it's the next guy. Um, and so I think the you know, this way of doing things, letting people mess up is, it helps to build confidence and it helps to, to learn to, for a young athlete to figure out, you know, why does this work? Why does it not work? Um, and that is something I'm trying to put into my, my going coaching as well as that. Um, I will see my goalies mess up and I will see they're sometimes making the wrong save selection, but I'd rather pull them aside afterwards and ask them, what do you think about this? Um, so I think that is, yeah. Dave, given what he just said, did you sense that when you first went to Europe? Or was it something that you consciously thought of? Or did you just take your your background in, in teaching and coaching in the United States and say, well, this is the way I am and let's move on? All of the above. Uh, so it it emerged um, probably 15 years into coaching that I was I was relying on my whistle. Um, I was relying on a coaching board, and I remember uh, coaching in um, we were in what Michigan. I was working with I think Bell Tire in Michigan, and one of the the dads or other coaches or program guy pulled me aside and he said, 
do you know how much money your team is spending on an hour of ice? And I said, nope, I don't rent the ice. Somebody else rents the ice. How much? And at the time, it was like $400 for one hour of ice. And you do the quick math. And I've got to ask myself on a regular basis, am I really worth almost $7 a minute to hear myself talk? Is it really worth that much money to stop a drill and try and start over again and have kids standing in line and getting cold and doing all of that? And then the the next part of it was when I was in Carolina, I was working with the junior hurricanes. And this is when ADM was really just beginning. And it was pretty amazing to have the, the USA hockey guys come in and say, look, here's Here's the research from Sweden. Here's the research from Czech. Uh, the more they stand in line, the less they develop. So we want to get them moving. We want to get them active. We want to get puck touches. So how do you do that? Well, no lines, no laps, no lectures. Get rid of the whistles. Um, I rarely use my whistle. And, and part of that is, again, adapting it from how do we play the game? What's the whistle for in the middle of a hockey game? We don't start line changes with a whistle, you know, so why should I start anything with a whistle? It should be a stop. You you sound just like me when I do a coaching clinic. I say the exact thing that put the whistle away. You could give a whistle to a chimpanzee. You could teach him to exhale into the whistle and he would then be a hockey coach to just stand by the boards and blow into the whistle and the kids would stop. In the middle of a drill or activity. So if I want them to stop, I will blow the whistle. Right. But that's it. That's that's the only time. And, and Frederick will tell you that, yes, he's actually seen me use the whistle um, and the kids will stop. Uh, but there's always a, a very specific reason. And then the next piece is how short can I make the explanation? I'm coaching two kids who don't speak English as their first language. And I've been doing that now for eight years. So I have to be very, very specific in the words that I choose. And, and so I'm, I'm reading uh, Nick Winkleman's book on communication and on cueing. Um, I'll have to, to find the, um, the title of it, and I'll send that to you. Uh, but it's, it's using those specific words. It's, um, I, I don't tell kids to bend their knees when we're working on skating. That's not specific enough. I tell them to bring their hips down. Um, I use an old Robbie Glantz uh, trick. You know, guys were sitting on a toilet. You know, you right. don't sit on a toilet with your knees straight. Um, Robbie Glantz, wow, that goes back a few years. Oh, I, oh uh, my gosh. So I actually was introduced to Robbie in Colorado, and he introduced me to Laura Stam when he was mm -hmm. still working with her. And that was, I think, the last year he was working with her. And then I actually uh, started teaching skating with Laura Stam back in the day. And actually became a pretty decent skater in my 20s because I was teaching it. Frederick, you're, uh, are you Norwegian? Yes. Okay. What, uh, what do you see as the cultural challenges for coaches outside Scandinavia coming to Norway or Finland or any of those places? What are the challenges for them? Uh, I would say, you know, obviously there's the, the language uh but that gets a lot better as the kids get older i mean uh, you know all culture uh, a lot of literature stuff like that 
it's in English, so uh, you'll be understood just fine. Um, but still, there's always going to be that barrier for the language part. And then there's also the fact that, uh, and again, you can't speak for everyone, but you know, countries like Norway, Finland, um, we can perhaps be hard to, like, it's hard to get to know us. If you walk into some, I don't know, even just standing at, in line at the supermarket in North America, like people will ask like, hey, what's up? How's it going? Uh, if you de- do that in, in a queue in Norway, it, people will think you're crazy. Like you just don't talk to strangers. And so I think that's tough for a lot of people who are used to a more open society coming in here. And it's people are perhaps a little bit more closed off. Does that does that change from Norway to Sweden to Finland to Denmark or like among the four major Scandinavian countries? How different is it? So there's uh, before I moved over here, I read a book called The Almost Nearly Perfect People. And it's talking about all the Scandinavian countries and it goes through the different uh, countries and it includes Iceland as well. Um, that's on my, my bucket list of, of places to, to visit. Um, and the different cultural elements of each of those countries uh, and how the people behave. So I would say that the Finns are the most reserved, the most stoic. Uh, it takes about a year to get to know a Finn. And half of that time uh, is spent sitting in the sauna, just sweating. And you don't talk, you just sweat. And after about six months to a year of sitting in that sauna sweating, you walk in and one day the Finn looks at you and he recognizes you because it's the same sauna and the same people over and over and over again. And he goes, Moi. And you're totally blown away. You're like, oh, my, he, he speaks. Wow. I, I didn't know he, um, and all he's doing is saying hello. And, and you sit there and you're like, oh, Tad, are um, You say hello back. And, and that begins the conversation. And, and it's really, really slow and methodical. And then, you know, a month later, you're talking politics and you're talking uh, how, how bad the government is this week. And, and um, oh, but at least our roads are paved and, and, then they ask, you know, is it really true about the healthcare system in the U.S.? And, and then you get into real conversations. Um, Denmark is going to be quicker. And I found Norway was even more, uh, more quick to get those conversations going. And part of that, Stavanger is a very international city because of the oil business. So the Norwegians here have to get used to all of these other cultures. So I, I see a difference in the Norwegians who are in Stavanger. Now, the reason I asked that question is uh, because in, I know in my own case, in, you know, coaching in, in France uh, years ago, and even making the change from, you know, teaching hockey in the U.S., coaching in Montreal, Ottawa, and now where I am in east of Toronto and Whitby, that uh, there, are, there are cultural differences even within Canada, even within Ontario. The challenges for a coach such as yourself or for Frederick dealing with different countries, even I don't, I don't know if those cultural differences exist even within the countries because they're much smaller than we are. But that certainly must have had an impact, I would think, on your approach to coaching, would it not? I talk less than I did in the U.S. And, and I think I actually 
do more because I try less or I try to explain less. Uh, so like Frederick was talking about, it's, it's actually um, easier is the wrong word, but it's easier for me to let a drill go and let them fail than it is for me to stop it and try and correct all of these details over and over and over again. Um, it's, it's much more simple for me to skate to a kid who who's waiting in line for, you know, three seconds and say, um, we're, we're making this pass and that's it. You know, that's the end of the correction. I don't have to, to stop the entire drill and say to everybody, guys, we're working on backhand passes and the first two people who went didn't catch it on their backhand and all that other stuff. I'd rather just go to the kid in the line and say, hey, we're working on backhand. And I can also judge, I can also judge which which kid it is. How much English does this kid know? And choose my words that way. Frederick, have you uh, taught in North America, in the US? Uh, yeah. And what did you see in the approach to coaching? I mean, I know we are dealing with goalies in your case, so it's a very different mindset to um, coach goalies, but what did you notice was the difference in approach? Uh, I felt that in North America, uh, and perhaps as how I perceive that society, there's, it's just more open. You you approach the kids more, almost more like a friend or a buddy or, you know, as opposed to a coach. But if I were in Germany uh, or the Czech Republic, um, you would have a different uh, status as a coach. So I feel like the, like the approach would just be like more friendly and more um, like I'm interacting with the kids as kids. I don't quite know how to explain it in English, uh, but it's I feel like I'm interacting with the kids in North America while it's in Germany. To some degree, I felt like I was more just uh explaining and telling him what to do was more it was a little bit stricter it was a little bit um they kind of do what they tell you they don't necessarily joke around too much if we look at the geography of the area you are in versus the area we are in and david you now know this obviously from your travels if you fly two to three hours from where you are right now you can be in 20 different countries Probably, or close to it. If you uh, fly can, two to three, if you fly two yeah. or three hours from Toronto, from Chicago, from Boston, you're still in an English-speaking world and still in the same country, right? You know, so the the difference in the the access to the numbers of cultures that you see means that anytime you are dealing with a kid from another country, and and you've said to me when we talked uh, a few days ago. They're usually dealing with kids from all these different countries, yes. and they all bring with them the baggage of those countries' cultures. Absolutely. And, and that's where that communication piece, like I said, I know going up to this kid, he's, you know, his parents are Scottish. So I'm going to be able to speak English and, and talk pop culture things with him that I couldn't necessarily do it with uh, a Norwegian who barely speaks English anywhere other than in the classroom when he's forced to. And I've got a couple of those kids on the team and, and mm -hmm. 
you know, the, the parents are happy that I'm speaking English so much because the kids' grades go up. But they, we don't always connect on the hockey level. When we talked last week, you said that your wheelhouse for coaching was pretty much the Pee Wee and Bantam age group. So around 11 yeah. to 14, somewhere in yeah. there. Uh, why do you feel that way? So that's actually the, the same age group I was a school teacher. Um, and it's just something that squirts. I, I've coached squirts uh, several times. So I've coached the, the 10 and 11-year-olds. I actually, my first year in Norway was with the 11-year-olds um, who were going into, uh, they were just going into Pee Wee when I got them. And it's that moment of transition where you're taking them as a skill development piece and moving them more towards a team hockey piece so uh, you work with that individual skills they're they're 11 and 12 and it's and it's all uh, one-on-ones and two-on-ones um and and you start teaching them you know and i've known some great uh u6 u8 coaches that will use shapes or colors so they're teaching their kids triangles which is is wonderful uh i see that as a squirt topic that they start getting into that two man or maybe a third man by peewee we can do three guys. We can have a three-on-one and talk about setting up a triangle, talking about a high man. Um, but by bantam now, they're still uh, they're still flexible. They're still malleable. They still don't know as much about hockey as they're going to. And so you can really bring them all of these different ideas, and they'll try them. And if they know, you know, if they know that they're not going to. Uh, be screamed at if they make a mistake they're gonna try things and and make those mistakes and we've talked a lot um i've talked with a lot of the kids especially the defensemen because i believe i i like watching uh uh tampa bay colorado uh they're really really aggressive defensemen keeping pucks in the offensive zone and i've i've let my defensemen do that i've let my 13 year olds do that and the first year that we were doing it, they were all going, but nobody's covering for me, so I can't go in. And I said, no, 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 it's the opposite. They're not covering for you because you don't go in. Did you read Bobby Orr's last book? Which one? Well, the last one that came out, I don't know, two or three years ago. Two, he mentioned, years. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He mentioned in there the coach he had when he was 12, I think it was, uh, who, you know, he was playing defense and and he was afraid to go up with the puck and the coach just said, go, just go. Yeah. And or said, had it not been for that coach, I never would have become the kind of player I became because he allowed him the freedom to do right. things that he recognized other kids just could not do. Not many coaches will admit to having a wheelhouse, to having a comfort zone. Does that pose a, a challenge for you overseas? Is it something that you thought, even at the ripe old age of 51, maybe I should take a crack at dealing more with 18 and 19-year-olds? My first year in Denmark was uh, coaching a U-17 team. And it was okay. Uh, There were a lot of struggles. There were only 11 kids on the team. So it was borrowing kids. It was um, playing games with a roster of nine and a goalie. And 
the the program actually talked to me a lot about uh, retention and how can we get more kids to stay so that we actually have 15, 20 kids at the, the U17 and U20 level. And, and we talked a lot about uh, station-based training at the younger ages. Let's make it more fun. Let's make it more active. Um, and they started going that direction. But I didn't enjoy the, the coaching as much because even with the explanations of why we were doing certain things, the, those players at that time kept coming back going, well, that's not what I'm comfortable with. That, that's not what I like doing. So it was that lack of, of growth mindset. It was, it was more that fixed mind of this is how we do things that I couldn't overcome. But do you think, but was that the mindset of the age group, do you think, or was it a mindset of the Danes? I, and I'm, I don't want to put this on the Danes, but it was that group. Uh, and, and I've had somewhat similar experiences. Uh, I've coached high school JV. Um, and I just find that that 13, 14, 15 year old, they're still willing to try things that are uncomfortable because they don't right. know that they're uncomfortable yet. So okay, yeah. let's get to, uh, let's get to minor hockey development in Norway and, and Sweden or not Sweden, but Finland, because that's, that's where you're headed to. Yep. Uh, for some reason, I've skipped over that that country in the middle, and that was the country you've that gone right in over. Yeah, you're just right. yeah. Uh, have you ever worked in Sweden, by the way? I have not. No. Uh, Sweden is uh, it's. I would love to coach it in Sweden if I got the opportunity yeah. to to have a team there. I would love it. Uh, I would jump at it and and try and make it the best. I actually had a uh, possibility to coach at Frölunda. I would have been an assistant coach for the the U15 team and it would have been a two-year deal. And they said, oh, by the way, it's volunteer because all of our coaches are volunteer because they've all, you know, they're Swedes. They've all played hockey. We don't, we don't need to really pay these guys. They all have jobs. And I said, okay, well, how can I eat? Where can I sleep? Can I sleep at the rink? Is there a sofa at the rink I can sleep on? Yeah. Um, you have to hunt your own polar yeah. bears up there or what? Yeah. It's, it's something like that. You know, yeah. Gr yeah. grab grab the salmon out of the the, the fjords salmon. with my bare hands. Yeah. Um so I had to I had to pass on that. Uh so yeah, so that's why I've I've never gone to Sweden. But I did play in All Sweden right. as a kid. So okay. that's fun. Let's let's look at Norway. We'll we'll, we'll attack Norway yeah. first and we'll look at um at Finland. Uh the minor, how would you everybody's caught on numbers. Everybody wants to be quantitative, but on a scale of one to 10 in terms of excellence and competence of development, where would you put Norway? 10 being the highest one being the lowest. Well, that's a long I, pause. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, For a I podcast, that's a long pregnant pause. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm very used to filling empty spaces, but not this one. Um, this is, yeah. this is a, a political minefield question. Uh, oh, so the the Norwegians emulate their coaching education program from the Swedes. So they take the Swedish education and they try and bring it. Uh, they translate it and and do whatever they do to it, and then they bring it over here. the The struggle that I've seen is they're not taking today's Swedish coaching education program. They're taking the one from five or 10 years ago. 
Well, the way you described it to me, it was even longer than that. Exactly. It's it's so you, you're being you're being very politically generous, politically correct. Um, very PC. Yes. So so it, it's it's hard to teach coaches yesterday's game when these kids are going to be playing tomorrow's game, and we've got a lot of coaches who know yesterday's game. Uh, and and you know, referring to to some of your other podcasts, they played juniors, so so they must know. Um, you know, that's the first thing your friend Frederick said. Well, that's the first thing your friend Frederick, who's yeah. sitting right beside you, said. Yeah. I played junior, and then he yeah. went on. So, da, 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 da. all right. So let me let me just swing over. Let, let, let's put him on the hot seat now for a there second. Okay, Frederick. Uh, minor hockey development in Norway. Good, average, weak. In general, and and also from the goaltending perspective, where do you think it is? I pretty much think that an answer is is given if you look at numbers. Where are we in the you know U twenty championships? Like we're not even competing there. Uh, where are we in the U eighteen championship? Uh, so it's like we're behind and uh, Finland. You, you know about the same population. Uh, we're not even close, uh, not even remotely close to to being at their level. And why? Frankly, why? Hmm? I I I'm going to jump in. I believe that there's some disconnect after about 13 or 14 years old. Our kids at 13, 14, 15 years old, they can compete with the Swedes, with the Finns. And and we're talking the you know the average team against the average team. We're not talking the national teams yet. We're talking my team against your team. We're going to have you know out of ten games, it's going to be five wins, five losses. We can compete. We can do just fine. We go to tournaments in Sweden and we do just fine. Um, and we've played uh, Finnish teams and we've done just fine. And then you start getting to that 15, 16, 17, and something happens where our best players are no longer developing at the same rate as the Swedes and the Finns. And I'm not, I, I can't put a pin on it. Um, I do know that the numbers uh, dwindle when they get older. Uh, we see the same type of dropout that, that other countries are seeing. We have kids playing on multiple teams in order to cover for the number of players that you need to roster a game. So they'll play, you know, a U15 player will play on the U16 team and maybe also the U18 team. And that can only last so long. And there's only so many kids that can survive that kind of, of system. Uh, but then you look at, at where the national coaches are and they're like, well, this kid, you know, I'm the U16 national coach and this kid played on, on U18 and, and had, you know, four games at U20. Of course, I'm going to put him on my national team roster. And, okay, what happens if a kid doesn't have that type of team in his town? So he can't play on those ga those games up. He never gets seen. He never gets those opportunities. So I think that something happens in this country somewhere around 14 or 15 that allows the Swedes and the Finns to just totally jump ahead. Frederick, what do you think that is? Um, well, I think part of it is a... A numbers game, uh, it's like David said, it, it's, it's hard to um, fill up all the spots with 
I should say, with with players, uh, because there's not too many people playing hockey in Norway as it should be, uh, and but you know, uh, to put it a different way, if a, a guy who is eligible for the U16 national team means he's below 16, uh, if he can play U18 and U20. Uh, what does that really say about our U18 league? What does that say about our U20 league? I mean, of course, you're always going to have, you know, statistically one exception, two exceptions that are just phenomenally good, amazing players, athletes, and and they can do that. But when you look at the the amount of players that always place up in Norwegian junior leagues. Uh, I think that's a bit concerning because that actually tells me that the quality is not that good if you can take a kid that is two years younger and just throw him in there. Let's go back to your playing days. Uh, how old are you now, uh, Frederick? Uh, I'm 30. So go back 15 years. It's really not that long ago. Mm -hmm. What did you see, uh, not just for the goalies, but for players that you played with? Were they quitting the sport? What was going on? You know, it, it's, uh, I think it goes a little bit back to what David said that, you know, you, you take younger kids, you know, up until 14, 15, uh, we're as equally good with many other nations. Um, but it's that when you, you get into high school and there's more and more demands put on you to, to practice uh, multiple times a day. And so obviously people are quitting because it's it's a tough commitment if you want to play hockey. Uh, I think there's that. But I also saw to, to my surprises that and how I even got into, um, you know, working hockey camps in the U.S. in the first place is that uh, we had a coach at – Juniors who were taking us over to the U.S. for a tryout for the NAHL. Uh, and I found that, you know, two of the best guys on my team, uh, they were, you know, on par with, uh, or I would say like they would be eligible to play in the NAHL. Uh, one of them got a spot. Uh, and so I, I, I think the talent is there, but it's just that, we don't we don't develop the talent. We don't allow people to be to be good in their own league. We're always I think we perhaps push them up too soon. I think sometimes you just that gotta brings, stay and yeah and play and just be allowed to be dominant at your own age and, and, and make plays, make passes, stuff like that. That brings me to the question then of, of the development of coaching in Norway and the role that it plays or doesn't play. David? So one of my assistant coaches was uh, trying to get his level two. Um, and that would allow him to work up through U18, I believe. Um, and and he's he knows that he's an assistant coach. He knows that he, he doesn't want to be a head coach. He doesn't want to coach a U18 elite team. He wants to be an assistant coach for his kids' U15B team. And our coaching director, um, coaching education coordinator, would not let him pass. Because? He had, 
he, he had fulfilled all the, the classroom requirements. And then when he ran practices, the, the comments that I, that I received back on this was, well, he doesn't use his whistle enough. He doesn't correct the drills enough. He lets the drill go uh, too long before stopping it. So he's not providing enough feedback to the team. What he was doing was what he's seen me do, which is let a drill go on and go talk to a kid in line. Uh, and then at the end of it, the, the coaching education coordinator said, he's never played the game. So we can't have him be, you know, a, a U15 B coach because those kids still need to learn how to play the game also. And this guy's never played the game. And I'm sitting here going, since when did you have to play the game become part of the coaching requ education requirements? Well, you never played the game at all, or you just hadn't played at a level that was deemed to be high enough. I'm assuming the the latter because the guy can skate and he can pass a puck. Um, but I think he stopped playing hockey at at 14 or 16 years old. Oh, um, so he has played. He has played. He has played, but not not enough, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I'm just I, even if he never played at all, he. He can organize a practice. He can organize drills. He can get kids moving. He can get them doing the things that they do. And as an assistant, he's wonderful because he knows um, he's actually, he, he works in uh, special ed. So he knows how to work with kids. He knows how to talk to the kids and he knows how to deescalate, uh, you know, the, the different situations that happen among 14, 15 year olds. But he doesn't know the game enough mm -hmm. to be on the bench. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is the exact kind of guy I would love to have as an assistant coach on my team. Right. So are, are the coaches in Norway given ongoing coach training, instruction, yes. de development of their, of their skills as a coach? Yes. So level one, I believe, is a weekend course. Whereas, uh, you know, USA hockey, the level one is, uh, I think eight hours, six hours, eight hours, um, six hours in Canada. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a full weekend. Uh, it's IIHF and Swedish based, um, material, but again, we're talking, um, it would be the equivalent of the level one elsewhere where there's not a lot okay. of hockey in there. It's all about, you know, parent meetings and, and how to deal with players. Um, and then I know, you know, Canada and the U S have gone after the, okay, you're going to be working with young kids. So here's some specific educational material for you that we're not going to give to this guy because he's working with older guys and he's working with goalies. So here's your Correct. goalie older guy. They don't yes. have that here. They, they only have the general blanket coaching education here. Uh, level two is actually, I believe it's two or three weekends over the course of the season. And like this year with COVID, it was, it was Zoom meetings and things. And you also get assessed on the ice. So you actually have to run a practice. Uh, so, you know, and, uh, my assistant coach, he was actually upset because the club has paid for his level two and paid for him to take these, these two or three weekends and, and do this education and he can't even get the certification. Um, and he feels, oh, my God, I made these guys pay for this, and I can't even pass the, the level. 
Um, but yes, there is these kind of continuing things. And the Federation started putting out webinars on coaching practices and running effective practice and things of that nature. So they are looking at that. So when we, when we look at the cultural differences in coaching approach from Norway to uh, Canada or the U.S., somebody like yourself goes over there for the first time and because of your approach where you, you sort of put the whistle away, you correct, or I call them interventions, you intervene in a drill, maybe on the, on the third time around for all the kids in a drill, you know, the approach is very different, but you're being assessed by the standards of the Norwegians, yes. you would fail by their standards, but by our standards in North America, we're going, wow, what a novel approach. That's a great approach. Let's hear more about Dave Laszlo. Uh, I would actually, I don't think I would fail simply because I played the game. <laughs> All right. So I think that would, as long as you can pass. turn both ways. So as long exactly. as you can turn both ways and lift the buck, right. you're, you're good to go. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. On the next grassroots, the minor hockey show podcast, part two of, and now from Scandinavia. So they don't want just kids who can, um, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to talk about the internet skill, uh, the Instagram skill coaches. They don't want the kid who can simply put his elbow down on the ice while he's doing a, an inside edge. Hmm. Um, they want a kid who can actually make a play off of his inside edge coming from behind the net or coming out of the corner or, or coming across the blue line or whatever. So, so that's already impacted, you know, if you're going to have uh, training plans and the goal is to have excellent skaters, skating has to be a fundamental part of every single training plan. That's next on Grassroots, the Minor Hockey Show podcast.